and we are live ladies and gents welcome to episode 229 of aid thompson and other disappointments your two episodes a week reminder that the world is hopeless there's no way out uh we're all just doomed now sit and drink with me mm. Uh, this episode is brought to you in association with Global Butterflies, bringing non-binary and trans awareness to the business community and, of course, funk27.co.uk uh, discontent providers. Uh, big shout-outs, just before we get started, guys. Uh, big shouts to the Patreons, first and foremost. My Binfluencer cult, uh, who've been uh, following and supporting me uh, for the last year or year and a half or so. Uh, more about Patreon at the end of the show. Stay tuned for that because I do have some special news to bring to you all. Um, but before that, let's get into this. Let's let's strip down naked and jump ill-advisedly into the shallow end of the swimming pool of dystopia. It's a Friday night, guys, which means it's a guest show. It's not just me rabbiting on, trying to make sense of the senseless by myself, like a madman in my shed. Uh, I always have a guest on with me on Friday nights um, to help me and you uh, round off the week. Um, so grab a beer, roll yourself a fat one, however you like to sweeten things to let the medicine go down, uh, and join me as, in, as I invite this week's guest to help me once again make sense of the census tonight. I'm very excited to be joined by a fellow political voice on TikTok, Mr. Ollie Mould. Woo! Oh. Welcome, welcome. How are you doing, man? Hi. I'm all right. Yes, thanks for, invite, for inviting me along. Great to be here. Yeah, well, you're very welcome. I've been enjoying your stuff. Uh, last Thank week, uh, our mutual friend, Jules. What's up, Jules? Uh, sent me a few of your, your vids. He was like, this guy would be really good as a guest, I reckon. <laughs> I was like, let's have a look. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. This is this is my boat, like, because it's kind of, it's like, it's insightful. It's not too like your your sort of communication style is, um, kind of a bit intellectual and a bit, but still like very. It's not too overly wordy. It's not too like ram it down your throat. It's very accessible. So, um, mm. so yeah, that's very much my bag. How how long have you been doing TikTok? And like, what kind of got you into it? So I started like many people during the pandemic and mm. it was one of those things whereby uh you saw it pop up and i thought oh yeah i'll give it a go um and it's yeah i, I enjoyed the format of it um and i started out actually because it was if you remember back then in 2020 or whatever it was it was only one minute yeah it was one minute it was limited to a minute wasn't it uh which was really quite difficult at times and i um and i thought well, what wh why don't i kind of try and explain some sort of human geography because that's what i teach at university right i'm a professor at royal holloway and um yeah. so i thought I'd, I'd give it a go and because you know we're all online anyway like we're all teaching online all the academics around the country as you know we're all having to give our lectures online uh which in itself was really quite nice you know it was because they all had their cameras off on zoom or teams and so it was like staring at a blank screen for two hours or whatever it was yeah but anyway, so i i figured all well, i'll i'll if all my students are going to be on TikTok, maybe I could kind of uh, try and do one minute or 60 second summaries of, like, of like some sort of key phrases. Like bite size sort yeah, of chunks, yeah. right? So yeah, like one of the key terms like landscape or place or yeah. city or, you know, gentrification or whatever it is. So um, that's how it started off. And then, um, yeah, so I, I gained a sort of a little niche following of people who are interested in sort of geography, a lot of students doing it. Um, and then it just sort of ballooned once the... Um, once the, the limit got bigger, then I could sort of go slightly more in depth to some of the bigger ideas around kind of, you know, Marxist ideas and anarchism and some of the sort of theories, if you like, behind the the, the geography that we teach. I suppose it's like, uh, like let's let's tap into that for a second, because so when I saw your like your expertise, like I'm familiar with your stuff now because of the, the sort of things that you talk about on TikTok. But yeah, there's it feels like there's this whole other world of of who you are so can you just t t like tell us what human geography actually is because instinctively mm -hmm. i think geography oh i remember learning about like different clouds and soil types and stuff <laughs> at school but i, I don't know yeah. where that stops and human geography starts or yes no it's it's a very good question and one which um does it does get leveled at, at us human geographers a lot because really it, it can be anything and you know with some, with some of us are sociologists some of us are criminologists right some of us are sort of uh you know 
qualitative people. So, but human geography, I always say, it's the study of uh, how people and their the environment around them interact with with each other. Okay. Because everything takes place, right? Whether it's a thought in your head, you know, firing the synapses in your brain, or whether it's globalization, you know, a production chain, the iPhone being made across five continents or whatever it is, everything takes place. And so that's what human geography is. It's the study of stuff taking place. And so it can be like anything. I mean, I, I have a few PhD students and they do amazing projects on you know, like capitalism and how it's affecting people's sleep and dreaming, right, uh, right the way through, to, right the way through to sort of, um, uh, yeah, like computer games industries and like the how unions are affecting the computer games industry and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's an incredibly broad church, but at its heart, it's that relationship between uh, people and the spaces and the places that that they they create and that they kind of are affected by. So that's right. what it is, really. Okay. And then, so then as an extension or an expansion of that, then you've then kind of stepped into TikTok and you've spoken about, so let's let's pull capitalism out of the bag. Yeah. And you've looked at that through the prism of human geography, like, okay, well, what is this system that mm. we're subscribing to? How do people behave? Like, are they reacting to it or are they governed by it? Is it that sort of stuff? Or... Yeah. yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the TikTok thing is, is good because... You know, it helps with the the publicness of what I do. Mm. And to be honest, you know, academia is um, uh, a very it gets a bad press sometimes because we, you know, we sit in our ivory towers and we all do that. And you know, but I guess one of the things I've always been very quite keen on, and the books that I've written actually have been I've, I've tried to address this as well. So I've written quite sort of publicly facing books rather than textbooks. Right. That sit on a dusty library shelf. I mean, I've written a couple of them already, but. So my two most recent ones have been published by popular presses. And so, you know, all the editors are like, no, no, get rid of all the academic jargon, get rid of it all, talk about the issues that matter. And so I've been quite keen to, yeah, increase the public facing side of academic work because, mm. you know, we, we say important stuff, but often it gets hidden behind paywalls or, you know, just in, in, in indecipherable language. So I've always been quite keen to do that. And TikTok was a really great way of, of doing that. And so, yeah, capitalism is such a important part of what we do as human geographers because it affects everything and everybody and it affects how people live and you know the kinds of houses they buy and places Mm -hmm. they go to work everything else so that's a really important system that that we all look at really human geographers will will, will be looking at it one way or another so um but some of us are a bit more kind of rant again rant about it properly than than, or not properly but rant about it kind of uh, holistically than others Mm. so that's I've, I've sort of set my stool out as someone who, um, you know, uh, tries to look at things with that academic mindset, but with a kind of political kind of poignancy, because, you know, whatever was it was Karl Marx said, you know, it's not it's not philosophers to, to think about the world, it's to change it, right? So mm. that's kind of where, where I'm at with it. So TikTok really helped with that, and it really helped, it actually helped me be far more concise in how I... Um, uh, approach some of these ideas and actually talk about them it does doesn't it and particularly within that time period where they did still have the one minute restriction on it where yeah it kind of encouraged you to yeah to take one topic and then just really smush it down this is before you could kind of like edit particularly well on it as well and it's exactly. kind of a hark back to um uh, do you remember vine do you remember yeah that? right so yeah. this is like the six second video app right um, That's right. Yeah, and I I came from a sort of stand up comedy background, uh, and I would have these ideas for like long form comedy that I would want to somehow translate. And it really, like, I mean, everyone looked at Vine like it was a sort of trashy, you know, and a lot of it was trashy mm. that you'd find on there. But it was a really interesting exercise to take a, quite a complex idea for a joke and then to try to trim the fat down to such an extent that you could smush it all into six seconds. Like it's no. It's no easy task. And I suppose to some extent it's similar with trying to take a textbook's worth of conceptual academia mm. and just crunch that into yeah. like a minute of TikTok, right? Yeah, and it's it's really interesting because you – and what I've, and what I've been doing actually, because recently, I suppose over the last couple of months, I've been trying to um, outline some of, the, some of the key Marxist ideas like alienation and everything else. And what – what I've kind of maybe rightly or wrongly, but I've assumed that people have 
watch some of my previous videos and so i sort of say oh, well riffing on that so we talked about alienation da, 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 da. Mm. so i've tried to build on it but then some people come back on the comments oh that's really great have you talked about alienation I was like, well yeah i did <laughs> yeah. so you have to be quite careful that you don't go too far down the road of um assuming knowledge but which is difficult to do because you know but yeah you're right it, it allows you to to really kind of or it forces you to be really concise uh something which all academics need to do really yeah yeah and it's well it's a great time i suppose at the moment to to be in academia to be able to communicate some of those concepts that historically would be confined to the dusty halls of big institutions yeah. uh where now it's this sort of great liberation of information uh and you can learn anything from like, you know, how to play the piano versus a YouTube video uh, to, yeah, to consuming information that previously yeah. you would have had to have gone to university to learn from somebody like you that's effectively doing outreach, but via an app that everyone from the yeah. age of like 14 upwards is likely to have on their phone. Yeah, that's right. And it's, um, you know, and I think that's something that academics had to challenge with really. I mean, at the end of the day, these universities, they're businesses, unfortunately, and they, act far too much like them sometimes and students are consumers they're not you know um how do you and... feel like uh, about that like this wasn't really an area i was going to tap into tonight no but, um, it's fine it's fine but well you, we, we um do you sort of have on. strong feelings like I, I mean to some extent you must accept that these institutions must raise funds to be able to survive but on the other side of things you wouldn't want to prohibit anyone mm. from bettering themselves and learning more so like where do you where do you sit on yeah that? exactly well it, this is i mean i guess you're talking about the neoliberalization or capital capitals encroachment on the university system which you know previously has been very much about the pursuit of knowledge a very mm. pure view of knowledge and um you know these days it's all about you know, clearly with the Tories in charge and, and in fact you can go back to what margaret thatcher said this i remember she was up she was I remember seeing a clip of her and she was going down a doing a sort of greet meet and greet line i think it was at cambridge or oxford or something like that right and she gets down to one person and she says um and she sort of says oh what are you doing what are you doing and this guy is young guy oh, I'm, do I'm doing nordic studies and she says oh how quaint right. oh how quaint like this as if to say oh well wow what? you know and even so even thatcher with her you know she, back then it was like oh well what that's just a, such a you know that's never going to be useful but right. how quaint and these days it's like well you know with arts degrees you know it's all about how much money you leave uh how much money you earn sorry with with a career uh, that you get from from the um from the degree that you do affects the quality of, of the funding of the degree mm. and that's what the tories have created is a sort of system whereby the the university system is about how much money you can how much money the students can earn after they've finished. And that has affected all sorts of things in terms of what we teach. So, you know, we'll have to transfer skills and employability and all this sort of stuff. And the parents are very much like, oh, well, you know, and this is what geography is going through a bit of a crisis at the moment because geography is a really popular subject at A-level. Mm. But the moment you can step out of university, it's like, oh, well, you know, what, is, what are you going to do with geography? You know, it's like, so, you know, we, we now have sort of courses where they're called things like environmental science or, you know, climate change in society, where essentially we're teaching the same sort of things, but we just kind of rebadged it mm. in, a, in a slightly sort of more employable way. So it, it's a problem because, yeah. I've, you know, universities are struggling to uh, kind of make keep themselves relevant in an era, as you say, where you can go on TikTok and learn fantastic things you know mm. within a couple of weeks um but you know i still think that um there's there's a room that you know society requires room for the long gestation of ideas something like a three-year degree you can't beat it for learning whatever it is you want to learn yes but but you know just finding what you want to do in the world mm. finding finding your place in on in the in the world around you it's... which might be left right whatever it is but yeah. So, anyway, I'm, I'm rambling, but that's that's no, no, not, not at all. It's it's really interesting to get your your perspective as somebody who sort of sits on the inside because so much of the information and the perspective that we're bombarded with with regards to higher education is around uh, that it's I don't know it's too lefty or um, you know Mickey Mouse degrees and all of these sort of cliches, yeah. lazy tropes that are wheeled out. It's nice to hear 
what it's like from somebody who's actually you know yeah. knee deep in it um but yeah just to go back to your point there which i, I think was a, a really good thing to uh to, to raise is the <clears throat> not not just the thing that you're learning has value but the whole lived experience of going to university is a giant thing for so many people because it's like if mm. you put yourself in the position of somebody who's i mean fortunately this wasn't me but if you were somebody who's a bit of an outcast at comprehensive school um who's had a bit of a rough time little bit reclusive um and then they go to university suddenly they're surrounded by people who also like radiohead and the pixies <laughs> and you know they actually find people who fucking understand them and the world begins to make mm. sense and they build confidence and it shouldn't really matter if they are studying you know pure maths physics or mm. art history or something you know it's about yeah. building confident successful people who can then go out into the workplace and pursue the next thing that they're interested in you know yeah that's it that's exactly it and you know too often it's it's just considered part of the churn you know this mm -hmm. sort of factory educational factory you go to school and then you go to university and then you get a job and that's it and then you know you you become a you become a yeah, perfect even, sort of uh, even so much of that even so much of that is just superficial nonsense. Like if you look at somebody like Rishi Sunak, for example, who's made no secret mm. of his desire to to basically implement that kind of conveyor belt capitalism where mm. everyone is forced to take maths until 18 was the idea before he immediately rode back on it. Um, he mm. wanted to... What was it? He, he was going to defund something or other at universities because none of them end up voting for us anyway. Or so, It was something along those lines. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And... Uh, and then he's obviously drunk on the whole Silicon Valley culture, but at no point has he ever thrown his hat in the ring to vastly increase funding to create more programmers, for example. Like if you really kitted out comprehensive schools with decent like MacBooks, Linux systems and taught yeah. kids how to code, maybe we could be a fucking world leader <laughs> in AI. Yeah. But they're not putting any of their chips in for that. What they're doing instead is basically disparaging people who study things like art or music or whatever yeah. as though oh there's no value in that while at the same time uh not offering any alternatives and concurrently somehow mm -hmm. waving a flag as though they're sort of co-mascots of british culture like they love the britishness they love waving mm. the flags but the second that anyone says i'd like to study music to perpetuate mm. our culture and bring something more interesting in the next 10 20 years to to the British music industry, then it's like, nah, there's no value in that. Go and study law. <laughs> Which is weird because like the, the creative industries are sort of, you know, one of the biggest exports of this this country's ever had. You know, it's mm. like, I don't know what these are, but they're billions of billions of pounds. Funnily enough, like before I went into academia, like, I, I did my PhD and I, I worked for a kind of think tank for a couple of years which it was called the creative industries observatory it was it was at the tail end of the the blair government mm. i think brown was still prime minister at the time and then you know at the time when the creative industries were kind of new and cool and uh and we were talking about nathan barley a minute ago and it's like that, that kind of era right where everything was about making and british culture with cool britannia and all that it was yeah it was huge but it was based on people's uh creative endeavor and artistic knowledge which you know is so important to things like coding as well as everything else, as well as the mathematical and the, and the programming skills you know people the countries that have got it right have steam not stem you know with the mm. with the arts in there as well because you can be an amazing coder if you can't write a, a narrative for a computer game for example mm. then the computer game will be shit. you know it might be coded brilliantly but if it hasn't got an amazing story to tell it, it will be rubbish so all our all the best exports that we've had in this country in the last few well, decades really have been creative for films, to, you know, um, you know, there's been all the technology and, and you know, industry and manufacturing as well. But like the, the market, you know, but it's it's music, it's our pop bands, it's our rock bands, it's our mm. films, our computer games, you know, Grand Theft Auto is made in Scotland, is it? So um, and that's it's down to art. And that's why us in the uh, in the academia, we're, we're shouting from the rooftops. See, how how dare you try and defund the arts? Because it's absolutely vital to this Britishness that you keep banging on about. Mm. So yeah, it's it's they shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah, I I always feel like no matter what the industry is, you need 
rightly or wrongly, you need a sort of superficial, nice, like, visage over the top of it. So with yeah. uh, programming, with coders, you want it to fit into a sort of scene or into um, a style. And so, like, where you were talking about computer games, for, like, a minute ago, a lot of that is, like, drenched in... So Grand Theft Auto, like, drenched in hip-hop culture and, you know, 90s yeah. gangster rap and um a lot of the cool britannia uh, Britan britannia stuff like will undoubtedly have attracted investment into the uk and yet yes it all goes back to the arts it all goes back to music music history fashion uh the art world back at that whole cool britannia uh point was like what like tracy eman um that's right yeah, it was, uh, yeah. yeah it was like a uh if you ever listen to Gemma forte talk about that period it's like it's really mm arresting listening to her yeah regale um but yeah anyway sorry so let's let's sort of go back to your your area of uh, of expertise and sort of observations yeah. of of capitalism so like where's your head at in terms of like our parliamentary uh capitalist democracy mm. like where it's at at the moment and where you think it's likely to be headed like in the next sort of five ten yeah. years well, it's interesting that you put those words together because capitalist and democracy, because I, I see, I don't see, I think that capitalism isn't democratic at all mm. uh, because it, it basically, um, it funnels money towards, you know, a monopoly and it's only really um, governmental intervention, right? Monopolies, commissions and everything else that stops massive uh, mm. monopolies forming and therefore destroying any form of democracy. We, we see it, you know, we're seeing it in the United States. Uh, the the part of the the democratic system over there is broken because yeah. of political uh, so uh, um, private lobbying power right so um, capitalism is if left kind of to its own devices is incredibly undemocratic so the fact that we still do have a sort I mean as fragile as it is and as flawed as it is that we do have some sort of functioning parliamentary democracy um, at least at the time being um is is a testament to the fact that the british british political kind of institution is is fairly robust i guess but of course we have people like um braverman and everyone else who was trying to completely destroy it by getting rid of you know, the european court of human rights and mm. proroguing parliament and all the various things that reese mogg has done over the years and trying to undermine it and so that and that those are direct uh th those um you know, practices are direct results of people putting corporate power ahead of democratic power. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Rhys Mogg was doing what he's doing because, you know, he, he thinks that the markets are the best place to sort of have this, have these allocate resources, or he thinks that, you know, um, Brexit is a really great idea because it creates some sort of, sort of sovereignty and it, but it, what he really wants that, is Singapore. Honestly. Do you think is that honourable? I feel like he's just in it for himself. Like he's worked out that his asset management company would profit more greatly well exactly i mean he, he, he talks about sovereignty but he yeah. what, what he really wants is singapore on thames right yeah so it's um it, you know so the 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 yeah so the, the the parliamentary system is obviously designed to stop that kind of corporate power from from trampling on democracy and at, at the moment you know it's um it's still holding up but you know I, you look at what's happening in the states uh, and and I get incredibly worried. You know, I've, I've got a lot of friends over in the States who work for universities over there. And, you know, they're absolutely bricking it because if Trump gets back in again with his project 2025, mm. you know, there's a very real chance that, you know, he can completely destroy the 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 public system, uh, the um, democratic systems they have over there. Yeah. So um, it's it's frightening. And then obviously whatever america does britain seems to follow in its footsteps fairly quickly you know we're seeing similar kind of trumpian language and I always, everything else so it's um yeah i, I always uh wheel cool. out the the sort of anomaly of the or, or the phenomenon rather of the shit british version so like it starts off with you know tv shows that were big in the us and then some producer over here in itv goes like oh well we should do that why can't we make a version of the golden girls or like pimp my ride yeah. or so and it's always shitter <laughs> like without exception it's the shit british version and yeah. uh and my fear is that yeah so once if if and when trump gets in and at the moment he's polling pretty you know successfully mm -hmm. uh so unless he goes to jail 
then which uh, I think if he goes to jail, there'll be a whole other set of problems in in the shape of a sort of yeah. you know series of riots and and possibly something resembling a civil war. I don't know. Um, yeah. But if he gets in, uh, my worry is that as America descends into something that sits outside the parameters of democracy, uh, we will get the shit British version over here, and you'll get a Prime Minister Suella Braverman or something similar. You know, fingers crossed, touch wood that. The, the length of a Labour administration just just allows us to escape that sort of yeah. thing, maybe. But yeah, my fear is that somebody over here will just go like, oh, well, like, look, look, like they do in America. That's what we should do here. We should just, yeah, disband the Standards Committee. We should yeah. leave the ECHR. We should, yeah, we just do what we like. Um, yeah. I, I honestly don't know what would happen then if like King Charles would just go like, enough! <laughs> like, Off, you'd hope so. I mean, it, yeah, I, I don't think. I mean, I, I was having this discussion someone the other day. I mean, like there must King Charles and the, the monarchy is. It's not just him, is it? There's an entire mm. machine around him, which uh, and, and presumably the same machine was around the Queen as well, which creates a, a Wait, massive did I call buffer. Him, did I call him Prince Charles or King Charles? No, I think you said King. I'm did I, sure oh, okay, King. right. I still haven't well adjusted. Done. Yeah. Thanks. Well, no one's come and chopped your head off yet. So, you know, you obviously did the right thing. So, yes, yeah. Sorry, um, continue. Yeah. No, no, no. So, you know, they have these systems in place. And so, if he ever did decide to kind of go rogue, I would imagine that he would probably find himself being chased by a paparazzi into a Parisian tunnel. But, um, oh, wow. You know, yeah. I think, <laughs> sorry, that's a <laughs> Freudian slip. But, um, do you know what I mean? I think that um, you're right. We do follow the states to, to our detriment. I had no. I, you know, understanding why, because, you know, 300, 400 years ago, they, we, we were, we mm. were the ones that sort of told them what to do, but it's, um, and it, you know, so the, the, the sort of global superpower that is the United States, they have a massive influence politically across the West. And so we always, you're always going to sort of follow what they do. So, um, it is really quite scary. Um, what you say about the labor thing though, I think is important. Uh, you know, it, I do get a sense though that, um, a, a, a a Labour landslide, I, I'd quite like a sort of see a hung parliament, to be honest, because I think I think giving Starmer too much sort of... Same, yeah. Uh, yeah, do you know what I mean? Give him a kind of... Um, it'll give him too much of a head rush and a, and a you know, get really big for his boots. And I don't really think he's the person... Because it just sort of... And Biden's similar, right? If you, if you get the Democrats in and you get Labour in and you think, oof. But then they've shifted so far to the right. The Overton window has shifted so far that you you, you have to end up kind of fighting off some really horrible, horrible things. And in the meantime, you you end up giving up some of the things you really, really fought for. Yeah. So it's I think if, if they get a massive majority, I think proportional representation becomes a harder thing to lobby for, which exactly. is exactly. Um, ultimately, I think, what a lot of us are going for. You know, we don't want this idea that Labour get in once every, like, 20, 25 years and have four years to try to fix the problems that they're left with and then get booted out again like we want something that accurately reflects or at least near to accurately reflects the actual progressive makeup of the electorate is like you know if you go out yes. like if you read the newspapers or you looked at the voting history of the uk for the last like hundred years you would think everyone was like a frothing belching racist But if you actually go out and you just talk to people, like most people have, yeah, progressive ideals. Most people are on board with progressive policies. It's just the the, the voting system that just royally fucks us. Um, and yeah, it's the so voting it's, system, and it's the sorry, you go. It's the voting system, and it's the media. I mean, we have a, a such a, a horrible media landscape in this country. Mm. You look at over in the, in many, mostly European countries, they have a, a very well informed media, which is not you know run by a cabal of billionaires. And so, the, the, you know, the, any Labour government has to do something about that. Mm. They have to break up the, the the billionaire ownership of the press. I don't know. How, I don't care how it's done, whether you kind of bring some of it back in, you know, you make more public institutions or you make it really difficult to, to, to buy media stuff if you're, you know, you own other companies or something. But something needs to be done. I mean, Corbyn had all that Leveson stuff, didn't he? And I think he was going to bring that in, which is... Mm. One of the reasons they went after him, well, lots of reasons they went after him, but I, uh, you know, but Starmer won't do that. So that, that those the, the PR, proportional representation, and some sort of check on the on the ridiculous mm -hmm. media landscape we have in this country. 
those are the, those are the two big things that need to need to change. And until those two things change, yeah, we're just going to keep digging backwards and forwards between a kind of slightly kind of slightly better version of of a of a, of a Labour government, you know, kind of Blair or Starmer government, and a frothing right wing horrible government. Yeah, and we're just going to keep backwards and forwards until those two things well, change. The, like the press. The, the urgent need i mean i like i joked for this joked about this sorry uh on on twitter earlier in the week i was like you know it's really decent of all the right-wing rags to showcase the urgent need for press regulation just before labor form <laughs> form a government i mean it's yeah. like thanks a lot guys uh because the, yeah. the coverage following the hunt autumn statement and just for the benefit of anyone that's maybe not quite so political or tuning in for the first time or you haven't caught up on the news this week uh, Jeremy Hunt announced a few tweaks to the tax policy. Uh, one of those was a cut to national insurance. Um, you could expect anything from, I guess, 15 to 60 or 70 pounds a month extra in your pay packet. So for high earners, obviously it's more. For low earners, it's a touch less. Um, and a lot of people were, you know, this is a cause for celebration. This is more money in your pocket. However, the fiscal drag, which is the tax bandings that people are set into, have been frozen uh, for a year and more and more people are falling into these medium and higher brackets so more and more people are going to be earning less effectively so it's like he's giving you like 30 quid and he's taking away this <laughs> uh so there's there's this idea basically like oh he's given us a tax cut but actually everyone's going to be poorer and the way that this was reported in the newspapers or rather the right-wing newspapers again this is just for the benefit of those that not necessarily across this um the way it was reported in the sun the express even the, the times which is actually normally pretty good and the telegraph was it was like santa had been it was like oh like new year's were hey said harry cole in in the sun with a champagne cork flying off like these editors the, like the editorial line of each of these newspapers is utterly shameful to lie to people like that and suggest that you're going to have more money. Like, there's a way out of this for you in the cost of living crisis. I mean, we haven't even touched on... Like, I could rant about this for hours, Ollie. Um, but we haven't even touched on the fact Please that, you ahead. know, what is £30 when you've come through a cost of living crisis where your mortgage has just doubled by, like, hundreds mm. and your energy bills have tripled and and all that? So, what, like, what even is that 30 quid? But on top of that, to rub salt in the wound, it's like, oh, you here comes a tax cut for you. But then what actually comes out in the wash is like, it's not even a tax cut. These motherfuckers lied to you. Um, <laughs> you could ask for no clearer example than uh, uh, of the urgent need for press regulation than, than the newspapers that came mm. out on Thursday morning. It's disgusting. It is, absolutely. And I think that, you know, that it's, it's a sort of microcosm of the, that relationship between uh, governmental power and media power. You know, they call it the media industrial complex for a reason. And I think that... Um, you know, the um, it, it comes back to what we're saying about universities and stuff. They're, they're, the media is a very important institution that the moment you begin to sort of bring in private interests, it corrupts it in the same way that universities and everything else. It just, you know, there are certain, you know, you can call them public goods if you like, but they're not even, they're not, they're broader than that. They're, they're, they're sort of parts of, uh, of the cultures that we've created, such as mm. communication, the way that we communicate things with one another you know, it, media is the sort of the, the the big version of that, right? It's 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 what we've created over millennia, that how we communicate our ideas and our emotions to each other and what's going on in different parts of the world, and so it's part of it's a fundamental kind of part of our culture, and to have that at the behest of billionaires, you know, Musk yeah. and X and everything else and Twitter, it's, it's it when you when you when you look at it that way, it just it becomes massively kind of you think well actually yeah no they shouldn't be in charge of it because they can, can massively control that you know so education is the same and everything else so it, it's it's that's just another example of the ways in which capitalism or the the desire for people to, just to get more than they already have mm. really fuckers can't don't know that they have enough have um, you um have you ever yeah. read or been exposed to the story of how Rupert Murdoch ended up uh, taking over the Times? I think it was in the eighties. Do you know? What? I don't think I have. Go on. it was like so. I, now that I've raised it, I'm never going to be able to remember like the nut 
nuts and bolts of it but like it's it's something along the lines of that he went to go and see margaret thatcher in a private meeting no minutes uh she already had concerns about him owning more than one newspaper in the uk Mm. and those two struck a fucking deal like she was like look if you do x then i will just tell the whoever like the monopoly commission was at the time that it's okay that i don't have any concerns and that's how it started you know like he he adopted like he got the son the son was his baby then he bought the times uh then he started sky although he's no longer involved in sky um Mm. but yeah i mean like it's 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 gross there's absolutely no way there's no case that like one individual should have that much power and influence in the uk and honestly like fuck anyone that says oh who who even buys newspapers anymore like it's not it's not who buys them it's who retails them out on like what the papers yeah. say on good morning britain lbc all of mm. them um are you right and it they're still there's such a fundamental part of british culture for some reason i mean you know you're right if people didn't read them that and and yeah, like you say, that we just didn't care about them. That that would be half the battle won, but they do. It's really important, you know. There's a reason why it's. I was a friend of mine works at the BBC website, and he says it's like the you know the papers, the front page. It's like their top yeah. rating page. So there's t- there's two things I'll just like pull out. So the first thing is why does the editor of the BBC News website stack the deck for like right wing newspapers? So, and it, I will just say this, it's been a while since I've checked the exact like percentages, but the last time yeah. I did some analysis on this, it was like the Sun, Telegraph, Express, Mail, the Star, the Metro, mm. like these are all right wing or right leaning yeah. publications mm. owned by Tory billionaires. <laughs> like, yeah. And then like, just to, just to give the lefties a little something on the mm. Guardian and the Mirror, if, if you're fucking yeah. lucky, they'll, they'll have both of those two on. And it's not, you know, I'm not just bashing the BBC here. This is true of Sky News. This is true of LBC. Mm. Every major outlet will have a stacked deck of like 66% to 70% right-wing news. So that's what I don't get. It's like, I understand it's what people are interested in. Culturally, we want to know what the headlines are. I just don't understand why you don't make it more balanced. Like, why not have? It's because it, I think it's it's been it's it's the best sellers. They're, they are the best selling um, newspapers in the country, and so yeah. they they always use the best selling. If I don't know if the Morning Star or something mm. incredibly left wing became you know sold hundreds of thousands a day, that might that might make it there. But obviously, at the moment, the, the best selling newspapers are the ones with the. Okay, so here's here's a human geography question for you then. So are those newspapers, are the people who are drawn to those newspapers and are buying them, are they doing so in the numbers that they are because fear and hate resonate with people more than holding people to account or like corruption or like, you know, like almost almost sort of true crimey investigative stuff is like interesting to people like you and me, but maybe to your everyday Joe that's walking past the newsstand, they, maybe they are drawn more to, like, immigrants have a five-bed mansion and you pay. Like, is it? <laughs> yeah, there is. I mean, there's been lots of studies done on this. I mean, there's a lot of sort of sociologists and media studies people that um, have, have looked at this, actually, and they people are drawn more to um, stories where they feel like they can shift their blame onto something or they they feel comforted. You know, people want to, they don't like doing work. They don't, they don't want to sort of have to sort of think for themselves in, mm. in that, in that way where they get their media sort of given to them with the news. It, they they want to be able to just sort of have a punchy headline, which kind of says, oh, okay, now I can, I feel slightly safer. Now I can go about my day. Mm. So th- there is a, there is a, you know, psychological thing really that people tend to sort of drift that way. Um, but this this is the thing. This is why if you look at German um, the, in the, the mediascape in Germany, for example, they they don't do this. They actually they you know they, there was a uh, I remember watching a documentary about it. They, they deliberately uh, have longer form news on on the TV, for example, and they have longer um, uh, columns on uh, longer articles in their newspapers to go into more in depth about what's actually happening. And they talk mm. to experts and and so they go through the mechanics of it. And so actually, you're kind of forced to understand a little bit more about what's going on. If they did that here, you know, you know. The, your immigrants having a five bedroom house, you'd look into the actual facts, and you realize actually, no, that's not happening, mm. or they're happening X, Y, and Z. So, 
it, it's you know it's um that so yeah it, it is a thing and, and there's been lots of studies done on it and we, so, culturally britain is pretty bad at it as i always in, like, wondered we, 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 like most. here's here's the other thing i was interested in with like with regards to like newspaper headlines it's like if i if i worked at the bbc news website or like this if i was a producer on sky's morning breakfast thing like wouldn't wouldn't i be tempted i would be tempted like would you be tempted would like aren't any of them tempted to just like photoshop a new headline for the daily mail and like the express and just like put out a load of really progressive stories like you can make them subtly progressive and just see how the dial moves like because everyone's saying yeah. when like when you um when you criticize the daily mail or the express or you know for putting out misinformation or uh, xenophobia or whatever they always say look we we credit our readers with enough intelligence to you know they they might get their news from here but we don't decide their minds for them you know they they can make up their own minds we just give them the information and i'm like but like let's just see like let's see what would happen if we ran a front page of the daily mail that said new study reveals migration net benefit <laughs> to the yeah. uk or uh 80 percent of the nhs is staffed by people that are either first generation or yeah. second generation migrants and hooray for that you know like if there was if yeah. there was news and information that was going out like that let's just see let's see how the YouGov polls uh, adjust after you know a week or two weeks of progressive stories like that, because like my my senses like if you cast your mind back to the uh, uh, the uh, the editor of the Mail was a guy called Geordie Grieg, and he ran a story a load of stories that were anti Boris Johnson for about mm. a week or two weeks. Yeah, um, I remember, yeah when he was when the patterson thing kicked off and there was a big headline it was like is anyone in charge in number 10 it was like really like going for him yeah and then yeah, he was fired he was like kicked out and they brought back paul dacre and so now it's crazy again um but just that week of bad headlines on the mail the conservatives lost their lead and it went down they've never recovered from it so i'm like wow. interesting isn't it it is you're right and I, so it, it does make you think that these people kind of <laughs> do they do believe what they read and it's mm. you know they wouldn't, they wouldn't spend so much money and billions of pounds creating these headlines if it didn't you know mm. if it didn't create it didn't affect public opinion so that's why they do it um and in, even i think today with the culture wars the way they are i think you'd probably find that if that was to happen a lot of people will go oh these lefty lefty daily mail daily mail's got all left and woke let's yeah. go you know, they, they were just sort of Go on to the next one. You go one step further to the express or something. But um, yeah, it's it's a tough one. And and but you know, I just always go back to the fact that this is part of our the problem of our democracy at the moment is that it's just mm. billionaire press ownership is has has to change. It has to and if we want to get escape the cycle that we are in, mm. that is a number. That is a number. It's not going to solve everything, but is I don't know. I don't know what you know. A bronze bullet, let's say. It's it's a core component, isn't it? It's a it is, yeah. sort of if you imagine it as a three pillar uh, program. The first like tranche, I suppose, is get the Tories out. The second one is implement proportional representation. The third one is the other PR, which is press regulation, because you yeah. need the a majority of the public to be with you. Um, and the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you stop funneling them misinformation and brainwashing yeah. them effectively into thinking that people in dinghies are the reason that they have to be angry rather than this guy over here who's like set up a private limited company and drunk in like billions yeah. from the exchequer over a, you know, dodgy PPE contract or whatever. Um, That's true. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, all, it's all double standards. I mean, I saw your tweet earlier about... Um the uh, the language that i mean i think that we're going to talk about cleverly aren't we but yeah, I mean, yeah. you know the, the various sort of words that he's used and other people use like jenkins when she gave the finger and everyone's like oh well you know whatever whatever you know what was it corbyn called someone a, an old a stupid woman yeah stupid woman and then all of a sudden oh, hang him yeah chop his head off. they're absolutely you know, shameless yeah. with that so it's it, it's not just corbyn is it i mean even if uh, you know it's with um uh, Starmer with his um, curry, curry gate, and all this sort of stuff. It's just the the standards, the double standards. Is it, oh, that's what gets me as well. Mm. But it's 
it's the way that it's not even about the language i think it's about the caricature that the report of the language perpetuates so with mm. corbin they saw him rightly or wrongly i'm not casting any judgment but they saw him as uh like in interviews he came off as a bit um impatient uh some would say a, a little petulant um moody grumpy and so then when they had this footage of him appearing to say uh oh stupid woman like that it sort of bought into yeah. that or like played into that <clears throat> yeah. uh archetype um with the tories it does the same thing but sort of you know with their caricature doesn't it it's like a james cleverly yeah. a tory sat there in a nice suit dismissing the concerns of a uh left-leaning mp who's talking about child poverty and this guy's mm. like oh it's because you because your town's a shithole like that it's yeah. th that's why it's so fucking visceral like because it plays into that thing so on both sides i can see how it gets amped up and both sides is like fucking nonsense like i'm sure james cleverly has friends and family who think he's a lovely guy and probably he is a lovely mm. guy um and the same with jeremy corbyn i'm sure he's a lovely like nice man and both of them were just having a bad day but it, i almost feel mm. like this goes back into the press regulation thing it's like i don't really like i think cleverly's a bit of a clown and i don't think he's particularly mm. honorable I think he should have been fired after the fact check UK thing. Um, yeah. But ultimately, I don't really care if somebody says shit or shit old or shit MP or stupid woman or whatever. What I'm invested mm. in is like, how, what are we going to do when the oil runs out <laughs> and climate yeah. change? And, you know, like, yeah, fact, that sort of brings me back to what, what I was going to talk to you about. So, I mean, you know, we've we've touched very briefly on uh our parliamentary capitalist democracy yeah. and you must have an array of different feelings about you know different systems that could be implemented to make things more fair to give people mm. a fairer shot but is there an element as yeah. a as an intellectual as a a fiercely intelligent man is there an element of it where you're like but what's the point like because we're all fucking doomed <laughs> like, we're all doomed like, do you have faith I mean, that you survive yes. another 10 years or 20 years? Or... Oh, uh, oh, dear. How long have you got? I mean, I think um, I, I do. I um, I think I, I wrote a blog post about this recently. I think the one of the, one of the problems that we've got, is it a problem? One of the characteristics of the 21st century mm. is that we, the, uh, how do I explain this? I think the, the experience, the experiences that we have of the world, have exceeded our our, our bandwidth, if you know, our kind of mental and emotional bandwidth, because we have to juggle existential, sort of planetary level climate change stuff, which you know, systems which are inherently complex and involve every single fucking atom on this planet, and at the same time, we have to worry about making sure that we get that reporting on time because our boss is going to fucking dock us pay. Mm. And then we have to go home and worry that, you know, the, the kids' homework is wrong and they're going to get a bad mark and therefore, you know, they're, they're going to be fucking angry. And so we, because of the nature of the globalised world and the media that's, you know, the global social media that's gone with it, we have to balance all that at the same time, that existential massiveness that we just cannot really grasp because we've got limited you mm. know physical bodies and and the intimate personal problems that we're all we're all suffering from mental physical everything else personal blah 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 and and it that we can't hold that in our in our heads anymore i don't think and that's what's causing everything to go bleh. that's why we're all angry that's why we're all fucking at each other's throats and there's culture wars and everything else and why we're all polarized because We've, we've lost the ability to, to do that. I mean, previously, you know, perhaps our parents' generation or whatever, like that globalness wasn't really there. Mm -hmm. And intellectually, there's lots of people, I mean, you can pinpoint it to a specific kind of date, actually. It's it, it, the earth rise, like 1968, 1968, that post that period, the, there was a sort of planetary consciousness with the blue marble photo and all the revolutions of 1968. Capitalism changed very, very rapidly at that time. Anyway, I won't go into the details, but... Ever since then, it, the, the, the world has just expanded, mm. and our and our and we as our, our our ability to comprehend that hasn't caught up. 
Mm. And so that's why we're sort of falling apart at the seams. So my hope is, and my, my hope is that there are there are systems out there in terms of, I mean, you can look at it with the Gaza thing on, on TikTok. I mean, people are waking up and actually understanding the complexity of the issue. And they're not getting fed the drivel that the, the you know the, the the press and the Israeli government are giving them. And so there's this sort of sense that actually we are perhaps beginning to broaden that conceptual bandwidth just a little bit mm -hmm. in order to say actually yeah, climate change is important and it and what I'm good what I do like the, the flights that I take is you know clearly the hundred companies and all that they that's a problem and we need to do that but actually it's all it's an all interconnected web of everything else so that's where I have hope is that I think that yes it's horrible and it's dystopian it's and it's a nightmare and it's probably going to get a lot worse before it gets any better but I, I do think that we need to hold on to the fact that we are beginning to kind of expand our consciousness and our understanding of the world better. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, because obviously I, I teach and I, I come into contact with hundreds and thousands really of, of young people on a, on a fairly regular basis. And not all of them, but a lot of them are really clued up and, and they, they know what's going on and they, they, they have some great ideas about what to do. They're just waiting to implement it. You know, they're, they're getting their three years of reading marks and Deleuze out of their system before going on and starting a startup weather but it's um yeah that so that's that for me is the problem so that was a bit of a rant but you, you no no you not at I mean? all yeah yeah no it's not it's it's refreshing to hear that that you have some faith in in the future i i mean i sort of feel like like i would never pretend to be a sort of climate science denialist if you like um but I do wonder to what extent. So like, let's say natural resources, let's say like you've got your oil, your natural gas, um, even things like lithium, uh, like countries going to war over those things. So even if the nuclear wars for the resources don't kill us, then the running out of resources will probably kill us. And then even if that doesn't happen, like, I mean, there was a new report. Uh, I don't want to bum anyone out, but there was, there was an, well, I do kind of, it's like the USP of the show, yeah. but um, uh, there was a report this, very early this morning about a new, uh, a new load of um, diagnoses in China for an unidentified illness. They don't know what oh, it yeah, is yet. That, yeah. So that could be like fucking COVID 24 or whatever. So that's, you know, it could be a pandemic that finishes us off um yeah or, or it could be climate change and it, like so most recently i've been looking at uh, argentina for a punk politics video and uh, people talking about well one of the reasons that this big you know this right-wing populist lunatic yeah, has yeah. got in is because yeah. the inflation over there is like 150 percent. so i started looking into it and it's because crop fields are burnt out and because they've had floods and fires and mm. everyone's looking at like international inflation throughout Canada and the US and the UK and the Eurozone as though it's this sort of anomaly like, oh, we have to battle mm. inflation, raise interest rates. I'm like, nobody's looking at this like it's climate change, like people's food bills are going up because it's harder to produce food now. And that's not yeah. going to get any easier. So when I pan out and I, I try to think that human ingenuity will fix it or that some of the students that you have in your lecture halls will come up with new yeah. ideas and ways and systems to get us out of the problems that we're in i can't help but look at these huge challenges that we have and just think the odds of us surviving like the next <laughs> two or three decades like it's more likely that we're <laughs> that we're fucked than we will be a roaring success story. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't disagree. With it. I don't disagree with it. It's more likely. I mean, I think it is quite likely. I mean, I think you know, nuclear war and and COVID two, whatever it is, this time it's war. Um, yeah. You know, whatever it is, gets us. But um, yeah, I, it's. But I think I think the fact that you've actually taken the time and effort to understand that is proof that you, the, the, if you can go into the detail, you understand the systems, and then you can work try and try and work a way around it i found i heard a stat the other day that um the uh the the amount of sunlight that hits the earth in 90 minutes is is the equivalent of a, of, of the total energy we use on the planet for an entire year really something like yeah like three trillion gigawatts or whatever it is yeah falls as sunlight in only 90 minutes mm -hmm. so we've got a fucking we we've got a 
you know, uh, a, the, the world, yeah, the, the battery is. Right. We've got a massive fusion reactor only a yeah. couple of million miles away. And, you know, it, it's so things like that. They're little sort of pinpricks of, of I mean, obviously, solar panels uh, can't store. And obviously, we need to. That's the next big thing. That's what I talk to my students about. Like, you know, the, the next the, the next big technological advancement is the ability to transfer power mm. quickly. Like at the moment, we have to store it in batteries, and those batteries have to be mined from lithium from the earth in the Congo and everything else. Yeah, yeah. But if, if we can begin to move power around the world without without sort of too much trouble in terms of storage, then then we're on we're onto something. That that is the, that is the big thing because the the ability to generate electricity and power from renewable sources has always been there it's just it's just moving that power around the world so that's going to be the next big thing but yeah I, I, whether we get there or not uh is is debatable because we have such fucking horrible people in charge that they, they'd much rather slaughter an, an entire fucking group of people rather than share resources so yeah I've said it before, uh, but truth bears repeating. Um, we live in a country where the people who lead us, make no mistake, would slaughter you and your entire family for a 0.001% uptick on GDP. Like, they wouldn't even think about it. It wouldn't even be, oh, should I? Like, they'd do it in a second. Sadly true, yes. Um, Ollie, thank you so much for joining me tonight, man. This has been really interesting. That's all um, right, uh, if you would like to see more of Ollie, do go and give him a follow on TikTok. He's on Twitter, but he's not really sort of thing. He's got his handle. Yeah, not really. No. Um, but he's done the right thing and abandoned it pretty much. So uh, TikTok's his jam. Uh, go and find him. It's Ollie Mould on there. Um, I will be back next Tuesday with a solo show as per usual. Uh, for first time listeners, I do one solo show in the week where I basically rant myself in this shed that I've sort of decked out one corner of to make it look... A little bit trendy, but it is still a shed. Um, and then next Friday night, I'll have another guest on uh, who will, again, help me try to make sense of the senseless. And I will do my best to bum them out as I have uh, Ollie and my audience tonight. Um, oh, shit. I was going to give a, a Patreon update, wasn't I? So, OK. So first off, let me just go through the, the, the benefits on the Patreon. So if you sign up to patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson. Uh, you get episodes of the podcast two days before everybody else. So we're doing a live stream tonight, but then it will disappear off YouTube and it will go onto Patreon uh, for two days before it re-emerges uh, in Final Fantasy. Oh, I've got an echo. I'm just going to turn you down a little bit, Ollie. There we go. Um, so, yeah, and then it re-emerges in final form on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, you also get an RSS feed, so you can plumb that straight into your Spotify or Apple or, or whatever. So you get the episode two days early, but straight into your usual podcast player. Um, I'm doing London-based meetups. I would love to do meetups in other cities, but at the moment I can't really do it. However, just bear with me a second, guys, because there might be something coming up soon. Um there's also, uh, so we've done two London meetups already. There's first dibs on the live shows. So we did a Riot Society one in Soho. That was back in February. We did the Glastonbury one. We've just done another one at St. Catherine Docks. Uh, myself and Danny Price, this is the new bit. This is the juicy bit. Myself and Danny Price might be doing some UK dates, guys. Uh, it's a little bit more exciting than just standard London-y stuff everyone always says like why don't you do shows like outside of london and the truth is it's because it's really fucking expensive but we do maybe have a little bit of money coming our way to uh to make something to build something a little bit more exciting so i'm really i'm really jazzed i don't know i've, I've literally never said jazz before i don't think but i'm feeling really jazzed about that it's like a mini tour um so i think the first one of those is going to be in bristol um, and if there's Patreons around that area, sort of West Country or on the way down there, then I'm very happy to do a, a Patreon meetup for that also. Um, finally, if you jump on the Patreon, you get named and shamed slash credited at the end of the show like this. So let me quickly give a shout out to Rachel Harris, Bowman, Kai, Chris D, David Voice, Martin Maracas, Mojo Sabian, who I saw in the chat this evening, uh, Oliver Stevens, Peter Del Monte, Pingu, Stuart Chesmar, T-Rex, Aaron Smith, Alex Souter, Alex Tooth, Jeff McGow, Mark Harris, Ned Berg, Ricardo Oliveira, 
Sarah Setters, Simon Flack, Aaron Duddy, Aaron Gray. I'm almost at the end now. I'm sorry. Uh, Elsa, Anthony Rooney, Eddie, Fat Shirley, uh, Joseph Liff, Lorna Johnson, Mal, Paul, Rax, Rodri, Chris, Damon, Silent, Kerry and Raphael. Thank you so, so much, guys, for continuing your support of the show. Uh, I'm out once again. Thanks to my guest tonight, Ollie Mould. Uh, I'm out this motherfucker. <laughs>